reporting. Next news as it happens. Next scheduled news at 11 o'clock over WOR Radio 710, the talk of New York. And here is Gene Shepard. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. We haven't had a good straw in the wind for a long time, and uh, and I think there's all kinds of straws in the wind. In fact, is sometimes when I go out in the heavy wind, I can't believe the amount of straws that are flying by. Uh, here's a straw in the wind. If you if you want to really know what's happening to our country vis-a-vis the rest of the world, I mean, let's face it, we're all Americans, right? I mean, you know, and, and yes, you should have some interest in your country. Well, you want to know what's really happening in our country, for, you know, in relationship to the rest of the world? Well, listen to this. I was really depressed, you know, when I read this. Oh, wow, man. I mean, when I thought what... And, 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 and usually straws in the wind come out of a totally unexpected source. I think there's a theory there that there's, there's a force at work that you do not expect uh, for example, the uh, New York Times crossword puzzle to contain more and heavier truths about life and existence than, let's say, the latest uh, endless uh, prose effort by James Reston. But the truth happens to be there. That's where it is. Not in Reston, but in the puzzle. That's right. Now, you don't want to face this, but it's the way it ha- the way life is. It's like it's like you're going to find out more about the way a guy lives in his own personal life, really, by looking in his closet, than by any other single thing that you can figure about the guy. You know, he'll come out, he'll write this fantastic book and tell you the future of mankind. He'll walk around and make profound statements to Gabe Pressman. He'll, uh, <laughs> and then all you got to do is look at his closet and you see that gigantic pile of busted up shoes and broken umbrellas and, uh, and blasted dreams, airplane models that he never finished. And all. You're going to know more about that guy. Then you're going to suspect anything he says when he talks about, we ought to get our situation here in this country organized in a sane and, and organically, basically realistic manner. Yeah, you hear these politicians. You look in their closet and you find that this guy hasn't organized his own life ever. And in fact, his mother has to come over every two weeks and clean out his desk before it blows up and kills him. Well, at that point, you know more about this guy than by his public utterances, right? Well, listen to this one. A straw in the wind out of Brussels. I didn't even know they had Belgium anymore. I mean, I, you know, I, how long has it been since you heard of Belgium? I thought I thought they did away with Belgium about the time they uh, they did away with the lower... 
uh, Lower Slobobia. Do they still have a... Be- is there a Belgium? Is it still working? Yeah, I guess so. For heaven's sakes, you know. That's like getting a news bulletin uh, out of Estonia. But uh, is there still a Latvia? I guess so. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, Brussels, Belgium, it's says. And, and you, here's, here, it, it really says about what our country, how it's going, how really it's going. Brussels police say two men arrested for a major burglary of a firm the other day told them that they had left 10,000 U.S. dollars in the safe. They just left it. They didn't even bother to steal that. Quote, because we know that U.S. dollars are not worth much more anymore, sir. That's what they said. They were accused of taking 120,000 Belgium francs, which, by the way, is worth le- worth less than $3,000 in U.S. cash right now. They left 10,000 bucks in cash, U.S. money. Well, there was a time, friend, when all you had to do was wave any dollar bill on any street in any city in Europe, and even the crowned heads would come charging out you know, willing to perform any service that you cared to name. When the thieves are not... That's where... They know. They know. They know. Listen, a bookie in Las Vegas knows more about the future of unemployment in America than anybody at the U.S. Department of Welfare and State because it's his line. (laughs) You agree with me there, Bob? So the burglars sneaking in, busting open a safe in Belgium, leave 10,000 U.S. dollars as worthless. You know what this reminds me of? I hate to say this. It's a terrible fact. But when I was a kid, and I was stamp collecting, you could always tell the, com- the, the, the countries that were in trouble in the world. Their stamps were absolutely useless. Did you know that? Did you know that at that time you could buy like five pound bags of German stamps for seven cents? Am I right, Bob? <laughs> I'm not kidding. You didn't know that, see? And 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 you could ask any little kid that was a stamp collector whether or not the, you know what countries are making it, what or not. He could have told you right away. Germany and Italy are in problems. You could buy bushel baskets of Italian stamps for like uh, what it cost to buy a used Ked tennis shoe, and uh, they were useless. <laughs> So, so it's it's kind of depressing to realize that in certain countries now they won't even steal U.S. money. You can't press it on them. Oh man, oh how far the mighty have fallen. Oh, uh, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, would you please, uh, Bob? Would you hit us with it with a little? So speaking of money, we got to do something, please. Yeah. More than 10,000 theatergoers have seen the preview performances of Norman Krasner's We Interrupt This Program, the new mystery thriller now at the Ambassador Theater, and no one has guessed who done it. Can you? We Interrupt This Program is a whodunit that first grips you with a theatrical masterstroke as contemporary as this morning's headlines. It then involves you in a fiendishly clever mystery plot in which every member of the cast is a suspect. The butler didn't do it. But it might have been the priest, the cop, the nice old people, or any one of the cast of 24. Academy Award winner Norman Krasner has devised a fascinating mystery play guaranteed to stump the most avid puzzle fans. 
We interrupt this program mixes high voltage suspense with intricate whodunit plotting. See it now at the Ambassador Theater, 49th Street West of Broadway. We interrupt this program. You'll never guess who done it. We're sure, we're sure, we're sure at Shopwell. Traditionally, Passover and Easter are two of the world's most joyous holidays. They celebrate the freedom and rebirth of life and of the human spirit. And so, in the deepest sense of both holidays, we at Shopwell wish all of our friends, neighbors, and customers a healthy, happy holiday and the full, fruitful pleasures of peace and harmony for all of us. This week's holiday spendless specials are fresh roasting pork, bone-in, 69 cents a pound, seedless grapes, a pound, 68 cents. We're sure, we're sure, we're sure. You're going to spend less, get more of the best when you learn to shop well. At shop well, at shop well. Peter Lindhayes and Mary Healy for Finnair. This year, discover Finland. Did you hear that, Peter? Hmm? Hear what? Finnair's tours They're going to spoil Finland. Who's spoiling Finland? How? Finnair, that's who. Finnair's advertising their tours to Finland, that's how. Oh, Mary, that's ridiculous. Finnair wouldn't spoil a thing about Finland. Remember the quaint towns, the beautiful lakes, Helsinki? Finnair is not spoiling anything. They're just telling people about... Oh, they are going to spoil Finland. Move our vacation up a month. No, I think we ought to leave now. But it's pitch black out. It's midnight. Peter, the sun's shining in Finland. Just don't tell anybody. All right, Mary. Mum's the word. But we'll tell you about tours of Finland. There's something right out of Finnair. It's the start of the finish. East Finland and beyond. A tour that takes you to Finland's unspoiled eastern region is described in Finnair's new brochure. Get your free copy by writing to WOR New York 10018 or through your travel agent. That's East Finland and beyond. Which high-potency vitamin do physicians and pharmacists recommend most? Theragrand and Theragrand M with minerals by Squibb. The name Squibb on the label means that you have no doubt about the honor or integrity of the maker. And right now you can take advantage of a great special offer... Buy 100 Theragran or Theragran M tablets at the regular price and get 30 extra tablets at no extra cost. 30 free when you buy 100. That's a month's supply for one person. But the offer's limited. Get your Theragran by Squibb now. It's the brand physicians and pharmacists recommend most for mixed vitamin deficiencies. Available at all fine neighborhood Genovese drugstore outlets. Skiers come alive at Mount Snow, Vermont for great Easter skiing. Heavy winter snows have provided a fantastic base for spring, and at Mount Snow, late March and April skiing under Vermont's sunny skies will be the highlight of your ski season. Economy skiing at Mount Snow begins at $38 for five and a half days of midweek skiing, or $55 for Mount Snow's famous lift and lesson package. Spring skiing at Mount Snow also means fun-filled special events. Easter is special at Mount Snow, race in NASTAR or the InnerTube Championship. Hunt for Easter eggs and enter Mount Snow's colorful Easter costume parade. Great prizes are awarded for all events. Ski Mount Snow in spring with their weekday economy package rates, special events, and great skiing into April. For further information and reservations, call Mount Snow toll-free 800-451-4211. That's 800-451-4211. Mount Snow, Vermont. Uh, you know, I like the kind of 
logic here on commercials, I guess. Isn't it logical to start in the middle? Well, I don't know. I mean, some people would say, isn't it logical to start at the left end of Europe and work your way all the way to the other end? Some, <laughs> some people say, isn't it logical to start at the top and work down? And, uh, it's, uh, that, of course, that, that, uh, that type of logic is logic. That's the kind of people that open Oreo cookies and eat the middle first. You know, they lick the white stuff out and then put the little things back together again and then put them back in a box. I've seen thinks that do that. Oh, yeah. Have you ever had anybody do that? You haven't. What kind of friends do you have? I guess you, obviously you have upright friends. I, I had, uh, I had a, a, a curious experience one time. I was visiting somebody at this elegant house up on Fifth Avenue, apartment, say. And so <laughs> this, uh, this lady says, would you care for some chocolates? And she handed me this box of chocolates. Actually, it was a tray of chocolates. I said, oh, well, fine. You know, I, I'm not a chocolate type particularly, but the, she was so elegant. I says, all right. So I take the chocolate with the tea, and I'm never going to say, what the hell? Well, I said, these are very interesting. Yes, yes, I always get these lovely cordial cherries. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm noshing away at the chocolate, and I figure, this thing is sprung leak. And uh, I look in the bottom, and sure enough, I can see a tooth mark. Somebody has, has, has neatly bitten into the bottom of this chocolate cordial cherry, you know, with the juice in it, and sucked the juice out and put the cherry back in a box. So I didn't want to say this to her. See, I was a little embarrassed. And I said, oh, yes, these are very good, very good. And I figured, well, this must be a fluke. So I reach over and take another one, and I look on the bottom, and there's two little tooth marks. Somebody had sucked the goo-goo out of every one of these <laughs> in this elegant house. So uh, everywhere you look, there's all kinds of hijackers that do stuff like this. Oh, yeah, you know, they eat the good stuff out of everything. I, I... Uh, Okay, uh, so I, I, there, no, I, 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 did I tell you about this friend of mine? <laughs> yeah, talk, talk about taking the good stuff out of places. This guy, he worked at a, at a, at a car dealership. Now, now, you know, a car dealership's pretty nice, and, and uh, he was, he was, uh, he was like, uh, worked in the office, and he had occasion to work nights a great deal in the office, you know, straightening up the books. They, they use this very unique double-entry uh, double bookkeeping system, which worked okay for about seven years, and now the whole crowd is in the slam. But uh, he, was <laughs> he was working every night. So he used to, whenever he worked nights, he would, he would sneak out into the, into the lot where they had all these great used, the new cars, the brand new cars. And he would go out into the new car place. And he had the keys, because the keys were all in the office. He'd take the keys to the uh, the new convertibles, and he'd sneak out there, and he would detach. All you got to do is reach underneath the, the dashboard. He would detach the speedometer. And he'd drive that fantastic convertible around, have a couple of dates, come back, and put it back in a lot, and then hook up the speedometer again. And, uh, he, you know, sometimes a car would be there a couple of months, and he would put maybe fifteen, twenty thousand miles on these dates. So he was just like the same thing, you know, sucking the goo-goo out of the cherries. You know, this is WOR New York, speaking of the simple and the honest. Yes, this is your upright station. This is one of the few stations on the dial that can look you right in the eye and say, my God, we're straightforward, upright, and honest, and deeply concerned. Right. That's it. That's WOR New York. And uh, let's see. Sail away.
away from New York on the Vista Fjord, April 10th, and we'll pay your coach airfare home from Port Everglades, Florida, after 16 glorious days of Caribbean cruising. Or join this cruise in Port Everglades, and we'll pay half your round-trip coach airfare. Or again, we'll pay half your round-trip coach airfare for the Vista Fjord's two-week cruise April 26th from Port Everglades. That's Norwegian America Line's sensational offer on the spacious and luxurious Vista Fjord's newly scheduled Spring West Indies cruises. You've always wanted to take a Norwegian America Line cruise, so don't miss this remarkable bonus offer. And a warm welcome from the Vista Fjord's European crew. See your travel agent or call Norwegian America Line 212-944-6900. The Vista Fjord is registered in Norway with 65 years of world cruising experience behind her. Vista Fjord, welcome aboard. Are you interested in vitamins containing natural source ingredients? There's a broad line of squib vitamins containing these natural source ingredients called Golden Bounty, now available in your area. The squib name is important when you buy vitamins because you want a name you can trust. Squib has marketed vitamin products since 1875, so you make an investment in confidence when you buy squib vitamins. Golden Bounty vitamins containing natural source ingredients include wheat germ oil, cod liver oil, brewer's yeast, protein tablets, and powder in assorted strength and sizes. Certain other Golden Bounty products are for use only in vitamin deficiencies. Some contain man-made and natural source ingredients. See product labels. Golden Bounty vitamins, naturally good. Check your Squib vitamin headquarters at your local pharmacy or department store drug section. Yeah, here's a weird spot here. Have you ever felt that you could write as good an article as some of the ones you read in national magazines? Well, here's your chance, buddy. Harper's Weekly is a fascinating new publication written almost entirely by its own readers. For example, a supermarket clerk uh, reveals the little tricks of his trade. A citizen tells how volunteers defeated the gambling lobby. I'll bet. Parents and children report on busing. So, uh, if you'd like to write, here's your chance. Harper's Weekly will pay you $25 if your article is published, and they'll pay $10 for a clipping or a quote. So even if you never contribute anything, you'll love reading the magazine. And if you'd like to try it, just give them a call. Uh, they'll give you the first four issues free. If you don't like it, you just keep the issues and cancel. But if you do like it, you pay $6 for the next 24 issues. Call this number, JU2-2000, right now, JU2-2000. And if you're outside of the area, call area code 212-COLLECT, JU2-2000. It's dining in the grand manner. It's dancing the night away. Oh, you're a great audience. It's great entertainment. It's an enchanting Caribbean island. It's a Holland America cruise to the West Indies. Ten or eleven days on the beautiful SS Dam to five of the most fascinating ports in the Caribbean. Sailings April through November from just $595. And no fuel surcharges or price increases after you book. Holland America to the West Indies. It's the possible dream. See your travel agent or call 212-760-3880. That's 212-760-3880. The SS Dam is registered in the Netherlands Antilles. Now this message from New York Magazine. 
For more than a decade, Andy Warhol has been one of this country's major artists and lifestyle trendsetters. But so far, most of what we know about what Andy Warhol thinks is what others have written. Well, that's about to change. Because in this week's New York Magazine, you'll get a preview of the philosophy of Andy Warhol by Andy Warhol. The book won't be published till September, but in this week's New York, in an article entitled, Everything is Nothing, My Life and Philosophy, Warhol lets it all hang out. From the three nervous breakdowns he suffered as a child in McKeesport, Pennsylvania, to his first interview at a famous New York fashion magazine. You'll learn why Warhol dyed his hair gray at age 23, and his part in the counterculture, the subculture, pop, superstars, drugs, lights, all the things he epitomized. So read this week's New York Magazine, where Andy Warhol, the world's foremost pop artist, pops off. Hello, I'm Peter Roberts, and I'm calling upon you to give your support to the Salvation Army and its programs for the needy. Every day, thousands of persons, young and old, are helped through the Salvation Army. Who are they? The hungry and homeless, people who have lost their jobs and become discouraged, searching for another alcoholics and drug addicts and their frightened families, elderly people who need companionship, nourishing food and a decent place to live, children whose own parents cannot take care of them, people of all ages who are suddenly faced with a personal crisis. The Salvation Army can make the difference between desperation and hope in many lives. Its experienced workers deal not only with immediate problems, but also with underlying causes. That is why I urge you to give generously to the Salvation Army Apartment House Appeal when your volunteer neighbor calls. Thank you. This is Sherry Henry. The real voice of Marcel Marceau will speak up Wednesday at 2.15 on my program. That is, if he has a voice. Hey, you know, uh, while we're on the subject of uh, straws in the wind, uh, <laughs> you know, once in a great while, once in a great while, you see a little piece of truth. You never expect to see it in comic strips. Now, a lot of people are going to tell you that you get truth from Charles Schultz, and I say bourgeois. <laughs> no way. <laughs> you get it. You get it from comic strips, because that, that's that to me that 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 uh, that's the kind of stuff that uh, uh, that uh, it's just it's just like like thinking you're going to get the truth out of Winnie the Pooh, uh, but. Uh, I mean, for the, if, if that's your bag, okay. But uh, there's another type of truth. It's much closer to reality. And certain comic strips are never quoted. And yet they say it. And in one little, one little comic strip, once in a great while, a, a guy may have, you know, a strip may have like 55 straight nothing weeks. And all of a sudden something comes out. Just one week it comes out and he never, you know, one, one strip. And I am not a Beatle Bailey fan. Are you, Bob? Except listen to this strip. Uh, no, the Beetle Bailey, once in a while. Yeah, I think you, you have to have been in the Army to honestly appreciate Beetle Bailey. And it shows, uh, you know, like, uh, like a guy that reads the comic strips. I'm going to read the comic strip today. It's Beetle Bailey. And it shows the sergeant. He's always called Sarge. There he is. And uh, they're in the barracks, and you see this ashtray with the... It's, it's laying on a guy's bunk, and you see ashes, and you see a cigarette butt, and a little smoke. And the sergeant is talking. He's got his, you know, he's got his stripes. And uh, 
He's, he's hollering over at the guy who's walking out of the barracks, wearing his fatigues. And the sergeant says the following, Hey, check your ashtray, Rocky. You don't want to burn down a barracks. At which point, the, uh, the guy walking out of the barracks, wearing his fatigue, says, Why not? Now you see the sergeant, and he's looking a little hurt around the eyes. And he's, he's cleaning up the ashtray. And he says, how can they feel so unsentimental about their home? How can they do that? And the next scene, he is now straightening his tie, and you can see he's looking very nostalgic. Not only nostalgic, he's looking sentimental. He's looking sort of up in the sky, you know, and he says, when I think of the fights we've had in here, my knuckles fairly glow with the warmth of the memory. And the next scene, he's in the john now, in the latrine. And he's looking at all the sinks. And you can see the shower in there with the duck boards. And he is looking thoughtful. And he says, how many thousands of feet have felt the tingle of that foot bath? How many faces have been reflected in them mirrors? He's very nostalgic. I love that line. How many thousands of feet have felt the tingle of that foot bath? You know what that is. Now, you'd have to know about the Army. you got to walk through this footbath to get into the shower. That's a theoretical attempt to kill athlete's foot and small crawling insects that occasionally get in guys' socks. <laughs> Not only their socks. And now, the next scene, he's looking at the barracks, and he sees all the beds. He's looking at the floor. And he says, how can they forget the jolly Friday night scrubbing the floors until the world, till the wood turned gray. And then the inspector finding dust in the funniest places. How can he forget it? And now he's standing on the steps looking out over the parade ground. He says, no, this barracks is not made of mere wooden nails. The true ingredients are the echoes of rosy dawn roll calls. The lingering essence of woolen socks just returned from a 25-mile adventure over dusty lanes. <laughs> now you see two, two yard birds are watching him, and he's in the barracks, and he's got on, he's, he's turned on in the barracks, his little, his little, it looks like a movie projector. And you see a tear coming down his cheeks. And one GI says to the other, oh, let's get out of here and have home movies again. He is looking at his memories of the barracks. Well, now, you're going to laugh at that. You're going to say, what is this? But only a guy who has lived in, in, the, in the army can understand the curious attachment you eventually feel for your barracks. Now, this is... <laughs> this is and, and when he says, you know, that one line, he says, how can they forget the jolly Friday night scrubbing the floors until the wood turned gray? Well, now, that one line... Anybody who's ever been in the Army knows exactly what he's talking about. And by the way, what did they call those jolly Friday nights, as he says? See, he, he changed the language because he knew you guys wouldn't understand it. Now, in the Army, they had a phrase for it. And I, I remember the first time that I ran into it. It's funny, when you run into the nomenclature of a special in-group, you generally misunderstand it when you first run into it. Like, for example, how many people today, and it's, it's, the word is so misused now, it has no meaning. But do you know that one of, the, one of the great musician phrases used to be, 
Man, am I uptight. Uptight didn't mean you were nervous. Uptight had nothing to do with feeling angry or bugged. What do you think uptight meant? It meant you were broke. Uptight meant you needed some dough. Well, some, some, you know, some fool from Esquire magazine or someplace who didn't know anything about this heard the word uptight and thought that meant bugged and nervous. You know, am I uptight? Oh, wow. And, and so they began to use it that way, and now the word has no meaning at all. <laughs> because the word uptight had a specific meaning. Very specific meaning. And these, these, these words get changed, you know. They, they, they get changed until finally they... I'll never forget... Uh, uh, the first time I heard somebody use a phrase which I knew very well meant, and I couldn't believe what they were saying, but they didn't know what it meant. How many times have you heard people were, use the word snafu? They don't know what it means. Wow. <laughs> snafu has a specific meaning, friends. And it doesn't have to do with what you think it has to do if you're that innocent. But uh, nevertheless, I remember I came, <laughs> I came back from, from Chow, see, I was in the army roughly, roughly, oh, probably three days. And I came back from Chow, and I was all dressed up, brand new uniform, scratchy, very, uh, whole new world. It was very exciting, and, and, and at the same time, very apprehensive, because you, know, you don't know who these people are, the whole different different crowd, and they're very, uh, very strange uh, alien guys, and they're running around bugles whistles are going off and it's a completely different world I, I there's no way unless you've gone through this there's no way to describe the first curious cultural shock of a whistle going off at 5:30 in the morning and everybody running nobody runs in your house at 5:30 do they i mean like crowds of people running and yelling in their underwear well <laughs> <laughs> this it was a whole I, I remember this vividly so so after about three days it was twilight and I had finished chow I was surprised first of all because you always hear one of the great myths about any of the armed forces outside of the armed forces is how bad the food is I was amazed that it was good it was better than, than most guys ever got at home Consistently, it was. It really was, consistently. I have to, have to say that, that if you were to take a year's um, chow, it was probably better on the average. Because most people, you know, will have two or three good meals a, a week, and then the rest of the time, you know, they say, oh, let's have meatloaf tonight, what the hell. Or, uh, oh, let's go and get a hamburger, you know. Oh, no. In the, in the Army, every night they had a whole thing, an entree and all the, you know, the vegetables and everything else. So, yet it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of a legend that you talk about the food is rotten. So we're sitting there, and we're having this food, and it was kind of a great night. I'm sitting with these new friends of mine, you know, all these uh, GIs were sitting around the mess hall. And uh, this corporal walks through. He says, hey, you guys. He said, come on, you know, don't, don't uh, get on the ball here. There's going to be a GI party tonight. I said, oh, gee, that's kind of great. You know, it's Friday night. We're going to have a party. Gee, that's kind of great. So we started to wander back to the barracks. We <laughs> walk into the barracks. And, and, and at that point, uh, going up the steps, a guy hollers, all right, you guys, let's go. Let's strip it down. Time now for a GI party. Let's move it. Come on, get the, get the light out. Come on, move it up there. You know, that night I discovered what a GI party is. GI party is spent mostly on your knees, and uh, all the beds were pushed back to the walls, and uh, they slosh. Uh, certain guys were assigned to the buckets, 
They go and get the hot water with the with the GI soap. The other guys have those brushes, those GI brushes, and we simply scrub the entire barracks down for about nine hours that night. Every conceivable thing was made clean. Well, I, I discovered something, <laughs> you know, the GI party. Well, these are curiously now. You would say that must be, you know, that must be a real drag, you know, because you, because you, you think of it in terms of your house, the GI party. It, it must be a drag, but actually, there is just like. Beetle Beatty says that there is a curious carnival air that develops during a GI party that 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 is definitely there. And so one night, and and you know, you know, it's like a whole bunch of guys. What you do, you strip down your underwear, you know, because you're you're going to get GI soap, water all over you. You don't want to get your your fatigues wet because you're going to have to wear your fatigues out of the rifle range the next morning. So you wear nothing but GI underwear. And GI shoes, and you're you're all down on your knees scrubbing the floor until the wood is gray. Now you're working away there and scrubbing. Well, one night an incident occurred in the GI party, which I have always remembered. It's 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 funny when you get a bunch of guys together. How curious, how how curious the phenomenon of violence is, and how easily it grows. There was a guy in our nobody knew anybody. Remember, nobody knew anybody in this space. We all knew guys. There were a smattering of guys who had been uh, in other companies, and so that were you didn't know who, who who was who. You being in the army three or four days, you could have been in the army six months because there were some guys that were regulars who were going back through basic all kinds of things. So we're having a GI party. It's about ten o'clock at night. Lights out was about eleven o'clock at night. About an hour from now, and the light bulbs hang. They have naked light bulbs. We're scrubbing away in a barracks, and everybody's hollering. And it was a two-floor barracks, one you know, two two stories, one above the other. And I was on the top floor when this happened, scrubbing away. And guys downstairs are scrubbing. Other guys are cleaning the windows. And it, it's kind of like it is a party in a curious way. It, it kind of develops a certain uh, what the hell. Uh, uh, camaraderie. Everybody's running around pouring water and scrubbing away there, see? Well, there was a guy upstairs with me. With me, there was about 50 guys upstairs. He was just part of the crowd. There was a little round guy, little round guy, that came from Oklahoma City. I always remember that. I'd never known anybody from Oklahoma City, but he came from Oklahoma City. His name was Spitzer. All, that's all I remember about him. He was from Oklahoma City, and he was his name was Spitzer. And he was little, and he was he was older than the rest of us. See, all all of us guys were like teenagers, you know, like 17, 18-year-old guys. And Spitzer, of course, he seemed a lot older than he was, obviously. He was probably about 25, but he seemed sort of staid and elderly to us. And uh, Spitzer was a very quiet guy. He never said anything for like three days. We'd been out on rifle range and marching. Spitzer is very quiet. He's little, and he's quiet, and he's sort of gray. Not gray hair, but he just had a gray personality. He just couldn't couldn't relate to Spitzer. Well, in the middle of the GI party, somebody hollered out to Spitzer. I remember this voice. He said, hey, Spitzer, how come you wear that cookie duster? A cookie duster. You know what a cookie duster is? That's a mustache. That's a slob talk for mustache. Often, they also use the word soup strainer. <laughs> so he says, hey, Spencer, how come you're wearing a cookie duster? And you hear a bunch of guys laughing. 
And I'm down on the floor. I'm scrubbing away. I never have told this story because it's a curiously painful story. And Spitzer didn't say much. He sort of laughed. Now, here's where he made his mistake. He, he sort of, you know, kind of glared around, didn't say much. And he's down on the floor scrubbing away there. And then somebody picked it up. Said, hey, Spitzer, how come you want a cookie duster, huh? <laughs> What's the matter? Uh, you know, you afraid your nose is going to stick out like that? Ha, <laughs> ha. And one thing led to the next. Just like that, it began to snowball. I had never been in anything like this in my life before, this curious snowball. Remember, this guy's a stranger. Now, in the case of, of, of somebody having a hassle when you're with a bunch of kids you know, that's understandable. You know the guys, and it's got a long history. But have you ever had a hassle with somebody that's a total stranger over totally nothing? Well, that's the first time it happened to me. This kid says, uh, hey, Spitzer, you got uh, you got a cookie dust in there. Ha, ha, ha. And Spitzer's getting a little bugged about this. He's doing nothing. He's a little gray guy. He's down there scrubbing away. Well, at that point, there was a corporal in, a, in charge of us. He picked it up. This guy was from Tennessee. He comes over, and, and for some reason or other, he stood over Spitzer and said the following. Uh, how come you don't answer these guys? Why don't you answer them? They're asking you a question. How come you're wearing a cookie duster, huh? At which point, I could sense it's changing. Spitzer, because you don't argue with a corporal when you're a yard bird down on your knees scrubbing the floor. At which point, Spitzer sort of mumbled something. He said, come on, now stand up and tell us. Spitzer got up, and he said, uh, what do you want me to do? He said, what do you mean, what, we, what do we want you to do? What are you trying to give us here? We ask you, how come you're wearing a cookie duster? What do you say, guys? Ha, 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 how come the cookie duster? And, of course, everybody says, yeah, ha, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. And downstairs, they start hearing us laughing. And a couple of guys come up and say, what's going on up here? And uh, somebody says, uh, they're, they're asking to Spitzer about the cookie duster. And within a minute, I never saw anything like that. There's a crowd of guys. There must have been about 75 guys. The barracks had that many easily. And they're all up on the top floor, and in the middle of them is Spitzer. And they're all laughing about his cookie duster. And instead of him laughing and saying, oh, well, you know, what the hell, you know, I got a cookie duster, I, <laughs> you know, he did the absolute wrongest thing. What do you think? He did. I'll tell you what he did. Being a male, you could probably guess. Here's this little squirt in the middle of all of us. And I'm, I'm sort of in the middle of the crowd. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm just watching. And there, by now, there's everybody sort of joining in. Hey, Spitzer, what a cookie duster. Huh? Hey, hey, let's take a look at that thing. What's the matter, kid? You know what? What, you trying to look like you're uh, Ronald Coleman or something? <laughs> well, what do you think you are, huh? Uh, Errol Flynn, ha ha, cookie duster, hey, let's call him cookie duster Spencer. And here he is in the middle of this, this thing, and, and he does the wrong thing. He looks at the whole crowd, and he says, all right, you guys, what are you going to do about it? Well, the one thing you do not ask a mob is, what is it going to do about it? Unfortunately, with mobs, they always have a way of doing something about it. At which point, somebody says, what did you say, Spencer? And he says, what are you going to do about it? The guy's practically crying. You can see this. He's scared like hell. And with that, it happened. Somebody grabbed Spitzer by the foot. Just reached. He was somewhere, you know, we were a big circle. Some guy reached down from behind and just yanked his foot. And he starts flailing around, you know. Somebody else then grabs his other foot, and he flies over backwards. Within eight milliseconds, 
There are 15 guys got his arms, 48 guys got his feet, and he's struggling. He's yelling, come on, you guys, get it out, get it out. And it got worse and worse. Now, hey, Spencer's got a crooked history, yeah. And they're throwing him up and down. The guy's flipping. Well, as he's flipping, they got more and more into the thing. And somebody says, all right, hurry up. Hey, uh, hey, you over here, uh, go on down to the john. Get, bring up some, uh, get some shaving cream. Let's go. Uh, you get, get a razor. Ha <laughs> ha. We'll show you what we're going to do about it. Oh, Spencer's got a crooked duster. Whoa, whoa. And they're cheering and yelling. And they hold him down on the bunk. About 37 guys. And a guy is going out of his mind. He's flipping. He's just, you know, flipping his wig. And, and, and the guy's terrified, and they, they, they take the shaving cream. You know, they take the thing, and they squirt the shaving cream on it. They rub it in, and, and two guys, one on each side, starts to shave off his mustache with the, with the, with the razor. Well, of course, he is flipping, and, and he's, he's getting hysterical. And at that point, he flips around, and as he does so, one of the razors cuts him, literally, from right under his nose, practically right up, to the edge of his ear, just like that. And, man, blood is all over the place. And now the guy is really hysterical. And the crowd doesn't know what the hell to do. They're holding him down and yelling. And with, it was a fantastic scene here. The blood is pouring off. And, and they, they're, they're afraid to let the guy go because he was absolutely out of his mind. They figured, yeah, At that moment, the guy was like a raging wild animal. See? And the crowd was sort of stunned because the blood is flying all over the place. And they don't know what to do. And with that, suddenly... You hear this voice says, All right, Eddie's, what's going on here? Eddie's! And there is a captain of MPs who has come charged. He's come charging up the stairs. Somebody has called the MPs. He comes roaring up the stairs. He's got this big white helmet on, you know, the 45 and the whole business and the white belt. And he is a captain. It's his MP on this, on this big brassard that they wear. And he's got two MPs with him. And they stood the mob up against the wall, all of us, in our underwear. And here is this guy laying on the bunk with the blood pouring off of him. I don't know what it was about or why it happened. Everybody's sort of standing very quiet. And the MP sends one of the other guys down that was with him to get the ambulance. And five minutes later, they just take him out in an ambulance. He never returned to our company. And from that minute on, there was a curious atmosphere in Company K. And nobody ever mentioned it after that. Nobody ever mentioned Spitzer. And I'm probably the first guy who's ever brought it up. Because curiously enough, everybody felt rotten about it for years afterwards. Because this company was shipped out. We all hung together. And nobody ever mentioned Spitzer again. But at that point, I realized just under the surface of every group of people lies that man-eating shark. I don't know where Spitzer is tonight. All I can say for the entire company, Spitzer, wherever you are, Company K still feels rotten about it. Company K is still feeling the after effects. And I imagine there are times when Spitzer sits back and he can hear the distant, the distant wail of bugles. And he can see the dark shadows on the roof of a barracks. And I could see him answering people when they ask him, you ever in the Army, Spitzer? What was the Army like? I don't know what Spitzer could answer. But 
that wild night in Company K when that blood sprayed across the barracks wall. A senseless act of curious, playful violence. And that MP that stood there with his legs wide apart in that big 45 service revolver hanging in that yellow light. Saying, all right, at ease, all you guys. What's going on here? And nobody could tell what's going on here. And Spitzer was carried out hysterical into the night. Yeah. <laughs> Curious story. Please, if you will. Don't think I'm, that is an, an anti-army story. You're thinking that's a story about the army. Ah, that's the story of human potential. Don't you forget it. That'll happen in an office. That'll happen in a classroom. Yeah. That'll happen in the monastery. That'll happen wherever human beings get together. And that inexplicable spark suddenly ignites it. And then after it's over, nobody knows why it happened. Sing. <laughs> oh, WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.